It's one reason we meet. We meet on a regular basis because something happens in this room. If we're listening to God and throughout the week, we hope as leaders here, that what happens in this room, there's, there's a reason why we meet on a regular basis. The kononia that scripture talks about. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. And I know in this room today, as I mentioned earlier about moms, some are, this is their first year of being, uh, celebrating Mother's Day. And that's awesome. And I'm so glad that you're here today. I know you're around the room here. But I know there's some of you right now going through times of when you're Your children are far, at least in your heart, feel like they're far away from God, and it's you're struggling with that. And it's and it's just it's something that's on the forefront of your mind. It's not back burner stuff, it's on the forefront. So how do you come in here on a church on a on a Sunday morning? And one of the daunting tasks as a pastor is to walk out of here knowing people come from different walks of life and hopefully somehow another walk out with hope this morning. That's why we meet. We meet through song. We meet through fellowship across the room. We meet through the word. But the one thing that I've stuck in my mind all these years, the one thing I've got to give you before you leave here today is some kind of hope. There's got to be hope. Because when there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. But when you lose hope, you lose the power right now. We need hope. And I realize across this room, as moms today, you come in from some as single moms, some as parents who really are not on the same page to parents who are doing everything they can to be all in. I realize we've got a mixed group of those who are parents. And of course, we've got those who are not parents. I hope what we're going to talk about today is we've talked about the mosaic. Why, why do we come to church? Why is it we don't just stay in our own little silos and we don't mix? Well, we believe the mosaic, the broken pieces of all the generations we talked about a few weeks ago, of marriage, those things make us all better. We are lifted when marriage is great, whether we're married or not. We're all lifted when generations are connected with each other. We're all lifted when parenting is done well, whether or not we're a parent. So that's why we have been in the middle of this series of Mosaic. You see our our sign there with the pictures of different places. And what's interesting is, I know for Jan and I, we talked about a little bit last week, you know, we're at a different stage of parenting with being empty nesters now for the last few years and, and being grandparents takes on a different feel than it did 20 years ago or 10 years ago. But for so long, you know, over our history, especially with TV and things of that nature, family was seen as part of the answer. Great families were, whether it was TV programs or whatever, and I'm going to date myself really bad, but that's all right. And I realize I'm going to mention one like Bonanza, but mom wasn't there, I realize. So, you know, it's on Mother's Day, but I'm just saying. Uh, leave it to Beaver, something about that. But then we move forward to The Simpsons and Family Guy. Somewhere along the way, we disconnect. Somewhere along the way, the family was the answer at one time, but now it's the problem. 
It's so dysfunctional. The, normally the father is a buffoon. And I think family's still the answer. When it's done right, when it's healthy, when it's strong, family's the answer. And the church should reflect that. So today I'm going to just say to you, yes, I could preach a sermon today just on parenting. And I'll say this. Jan and I have raised over the last 30 years, and we're still raising them, I feel like, right now, even though they're out of the home. Uh, We've raised four children. It does not make us an expert. I've said before, I probably not the, Jan and I are probably not the people to be writing a book on parenting. We would probably agree on that. Okay, we, we're not. But we got them here. They're all still going. That's all I can tell you sometimes. But I'll say this. We were intentional about raising our kids. And what I'm going to share with you today may or may not be of any help to you. Uh, it's some from life lessons I have learned about raising and how those kind of principles can help us inside the church, how it's reflected inside the mosaic of what we do in here, why it's important that strong families are reflected inside of this room. Genesis one twenty eight. we talked about last week, of course, marriage and Adam and Eve and the principles of why marriage and those principles, what they bring to the body. But I was reading this this week and as I was studying for this, and there's a lot of scripture we could go into parenting, no doubt. But I just thought this might help us this morning. And here you go, Genesis 128. It said, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Go forth and multiply. Be fruitful. Now, I'll say this. Uh, for many of us, we, we think of that phrase, we think of that as mostly about having children, which it is, but the term multiply there is much greater than having more children. It's the term multiply there means to be made great, to be great. So it's not just having children, it's and not just going and subduing the earth and not just populating the earth, but populating the earth which glorifies God. And as a caretaker, as I read that scripture, I think, man. To rule over and subdue. And you know, you like those words there, talk about having dominion. You go, okay, that's a little maybe even self-centered and self-focused. But really what it means there is you become the caretaker. And what caretaker there means is you now have been given a responsibility. And I don't know about you. People have let us use their home before or or we've been able to go somewhere and stay. And one of the things I always, Jen and I talk about, we want to leave the home better than when we got it. I know that's not everybody's deal. I've let people borrow stuff, believe me. <laughs> that's not everybody's deal. But it's as if God's given us responsibility, and if we take it seriously, when we give it back to him, it's better than when he gave it to us. That means caretaker. So when God says go multiply, it also means you now have responsibility. 
to take care of it. So that's a little bit of reason why I think when you walk in this room on a Sunday morning or you see what we're trying to do here at Renovation through our mission, vision, and values, you go, why are you trying so hard? Why are you trying so hard here to, to get this thought and this, this direction of where we should be as a church? Because we take this responsibility seriously. We believe the church is supposed to multiply. <laughs> We're supposed to duplicate and multiply ourselves. We're supposed to be raised up to a point where now we begin to be multiplication of what we have become. My first question to you today is, are you living out what you want to multiply? Are you living out currently what you would like to multiply? One of the things that over the years about being inside of a church as you begin to rub shoulders and you begin to hang out with people and watch how they parent. I know we can, ha- and I think we need to be having parenting and direction and, 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 and coaching along the way in classes. We, we'll look at that as we move forward. But one of the things I think is great is when you hang out with people that you think are parenting well. Jan and I were very fortunate in 1989. I, we, at that time, we only had two children. We became in contact, and many of you may know these people, Bobby and, and Sandra Womack. We modeled raising our kids at that time, watching them raise their kids. Now, we've tweaked it. We've done a lot of things along the way. Jane and I, one of the things about getting into a marriage, obviously, and starting to raise children is you both bring, as I said last week, pre-existing conditions with you, <laughs> since that term is in the news. We all bring pre-existing conditions, but pre-existing ideas of what we think parenting should look like, and so we've got to figure out how to mesh those together. But it's also great when you're inside of a body and you see people that are all in and people are crying out to God to help them lead their children, and you could start rubbing shoulders with them, and you can start going, okay, man, those are some things we can glean from. We can glean from that. And one of the things we noticed was there was a very intentionality behind it. There was a direction in their lives, and it made such an impact on us, and we were very protective of what we were not, and I don't mean protective as in exclusive of other people, but we were very protective of where we were headed. We learned that early on. As I was reading also this week in Genesis chapter 11, verse 1 through 9, and you think, well, this doesn't make much sense about parenting but I hope it may. So now the Lord had one language in a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in, in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens. So we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this. Then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And as I read that, I read it in one way. That he's got to to be different languages. But the other side of it is I'm thinking also, if a a group of people speak a language, if they begin to speak in one way, if they begin to figure out where they're headed, there's something about that. 
There's something powerful. You can I understand what the word is saying, but I'm also beginning to look at it the other way, going, if there is one thought and there is one direction, something powerful can come out of that. That leads me to my first thought this morning. I've counseled a lot, of, a lot over the years with parents and couples. This is one of the things that have jumped off the page at me, and it's the first one. I think of healthy environments. If you're talking about homes and churches, you can take this for what it's worth. Is one is they're all convinced this is the best way to live. One of the things that I think is a huge challenge inside of a church inside of a family, inside of a couple, as they do not agree on where they're headed. They do not agree that this is the best way to live. What tells you most about a family or a community is what that family and community values. As I said earlier, the Greek word for fellowship is the word koinonia. But it's more than just fellowship as we like to think about it. It's used in Scripture different ways. But its more accurate description is an intimate joint participation. An intimate joint participation. Intimacy, more than the physical aspect. Intimacy is about trusting someone. Intimacy is about vulnerability. Intimacy is about knowing each other at a deeper level. An intimate joint participation. That's kononia. That's what, when I, when I talk to parents, boy, that's what we got to work on. I can give you all the tools. I can give you sets of, we can teach you a class and give you sets of things that you could go do to, to teach your children. But if you as parents and we as leadership and we as a church are not headed in the same direction, we're in trouble. What happens is things get taken off the table, don't they? We just quit talking about certain things because we know every time we bring them up, we're not willing to go to a deeper level. We just quit talking about them. They're actually off the table. We talked about this last week in Crucial Conversations. You can measure the health of an organization or a couple or a family or a church is, is by all the non-discussables. If you want to know If you want to measure your health, just start listing all the things you've taken off the table. And the reason maybe we've taken it off the table because we're not going the same direction. There's different thoughts on why we're doing what we're doing. See, to me, though, a, a place where the ethos of Christ permeates a community, it permeates its beliefs and its values and its worldview. Where that love of Christ compels those people. And the reason why it compels them, because they know there are people that have been brought out of darkness into this wonderful light. There's no question about that. And because they've been brought out of this darkness into this wonderful light, they have been compelled to live in a certain way, to be all in. And I've shared with you before, one of the things that Jan and I 
made the decision on early on, and I, I, as many of you know, I was not a Christian when we got saved, when I, we got, when I got married, but I, was, I got saved, I was, I got that right. But when, I became, when we got married a year and so into it, then I came to know the Lord, we made some decisions early on, even though we, we didn't know much about Scripture, or I didn't. I knew if I'm going to do this, it doesn't make sense unless we're all in. It just doesn't make sense. It can't be just an add-on or a good option on like you would put on a car or something. You're either all in or you're not. You're either betting thing, pushing everything in the middle of the table, or you're not. And it's that hedging those bets that causes confusion, not only between a couple, but with the children in the home. Many of you know Andy. Of course, he's our youth pastor here, an awesome youth pastor. And Andy and married to our, our daughter, our oldest daughter, Sydney, and then Bryce. Uh, Bryce is not here today. He's a Chandler fireman, and he's awesome young man. He's married to Tori. But one of the things they had to do before they could ever really date, and I know this sounds weird to some of you, they had to get my permission to date them. And you go, well, that's, that's a little overboard. Okay. You do it your way, I do it my way, okay? <laughs> but understand why I did it this way. Because I wanted them to know, this is what I expect from you. This is the kind of honor I believe my daughters deserve. And also, you're going to honor our family. And in the middle of honoring our family, there's going to be certain things you're not invited into. You need to be all right with that right now. You won't get to go on vacations like I see a lot of people taking their, their, their boyfriend of a month going on vacation. I'm going, what in the world are you doing? You're going to take family pictures and look up one day and that person's been gone for 10 years? You didn't even, I mean, just, yeah, we got some people, I got a daughter pointing finger at herself here. <laughs> but, but, but this is my point. I wanted them to know that Jan and I, and whether wherever all of our kids were at the time, all four of them, we were all in on this intentionality and thought, and this is where we're headed, and this is the value. We put a price on it. This is how we value this, and if you want to get in, you're going to have to pay the price. And as time went on, we let them in a little further. We let them get in on family discussions. They get to go out to the to, to, to the to the usury pass for what we call holy ground and sit around the campfire and have conversations. There is a value on it. But Jan and I made a decision. We, are, this is, that we, were, we, were, we were in on what we were believing. We were all agreeing this is the best way to live. And it made a difference. Why do we work so hard here at Renovation to get us on the same page? Because I believe with all my heart, not only when, when people are speaking in one voice, it's powerful. But if people are speaking in that voice and they're working in silos and we're all working over here and there, it drags the whole thing down. I can't say, I'm not saying it's not going to move. I'm just going to say it sucks the life out of it. Any company, just go start a company and try starting with, you hire 10 people and let everybody have their own vision of where they're headed. But one voice. I love what, uh, Acts, if we, I don't have it up here with me, but in Acts it says they were in one accord or they were in one mind. They were going one direction. It changes things. Another one is I believe it's a place where you're loved when you believe you're unlovable. 
Man, have I seen churches over the years where that's not the case. I know it gets messy, folks. And I know sometimes you can hear the scripture preached and it feels more condemning and shame than it does hope and conviction and movement. I get that. There's got to be a place where I don't have to earn the love. I just know I have the love. My mom set the example for me. High school all the way to about 21, I was a, I was a pretty well a drunk at least I was a functional drunk. Highly functional drunk, matter of fact. But I wouldn't come home to three or four in the morning many times, or, or, and, and I was still living at home, and probably shouldn't have been, but I was, in a little town in Arkansas. But one thing I could count on, as drunk as I was, that my mom, there was, we had a big picture window, if that's what we call it, I don't know if that's the right word, but huge window in the front of the house. And when I'd pull up in that driveway... There would be my mom sitting in that recliner or in that rocking chair waiting for me to get home. She knew I was messed up. But I would walk in, sometimes stumble in, and she'd just get up and go to bed. She didn't berate me. She didn't hammer me. She didn't, but she just loved me. And I knew I was messing up. I knew I was messing up. I just want to be in a place, even when I know I'm probably not very lovable, I'm still loved. Families like that. Healthy churches are like that. But I also want to say this in the midst of this love. It's called agape love, as most of you already know. Phileo love is warm, brotherly love. But agape love is sacrificial love. Agape love is that love that you do not because of what you can conjure up within you. It's because of who you've become in Christ. It's a supernatural love. I couldn't love someone that way except because Christ working in me. I can love people. I can love my enemy. I can't maybe phileo my enemy. <laughs> I may not have warm, affectionate love for my enemy, but man, I can have agape love for my enemy. I may not have warm, affectionate love for a child. There are times, if, I don't know if you've ever said this, I'm, I've thought to my child, I don't like my child anymore, but man, I still love them. <laughs> I don't like them too much right now, but man, I love them beyond a love that I can describe. It's unconditional. I can't even, I can't stop it. It's because it's, Something, a gift that God gave me. It's like when my, our children were born. In that moment, that is the biggest, to me, the biggest illustration of agape love is because in that moment they've earned nothing. But I have this overwhelming love for them and a desire to protect them. But let me say this on the other side of that. 
I've watched parents also raise their children over the years, and I think I've seen churches too just go, well, that agape love equals tolerance and equality. (laughs) Yeah, try raising your kids that way. You've been, given, you've been given as a caretaker over them. And you're going to return them. They're God's, as far as I'm concerned. They're, they're God's kids. And, and man, you don't know how many times we have, Jan and I have prayed, Lord, they're yours. <laughs> but man, when I get to the end of this thing, I'm handing them off, Lord. I want to know that I've done well. That I've done my part. We live in a culture today which says where love equals tolerance, inequality. Love is, an agape love is being misunderstood but doing the right thing. Willing to take that hit. Even in culture, willing to take it in your home, willing to take it in the church. Going, I'm willing to take that for the love of you and being misunderstood because it's the right thing. I love what James Bryan Smith says. He said, our goal is not tolerance or equality, but love. But love. The third one, we learning to live beyond ourselves as we move from me to we. It doesn't take a whole lot to find out when you operate with, when you're connected to people and you're raising children that me is, seems to be the prominent thing in a person's life. And let me just say this briefly. I'm going to move on to the next one. As adults, there's a reason why we don't move across the room many times, I think. And we don't connect with other people. We've talked about it in our intergenerational part of the things we need to be doing is just walking across the room. But I think part of the reason sometimes we do that is because we don't think we have anything to gain from those people across the room. We put ourselves in a position, whether out of our own insecurities, whatever, that we're not willing to walk across the room because there's really nothing for me to gain to walk across the room. And what I'm saying to you today is when you move from me to we, it's not about you gaining. It's about potentially them gaining. But it's also, I'm going to say this to you, it's also, if you go over there, you might be amazed on how much you can gain. I've said this before many times. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. We all can learn something. We all can walk across the room and begin to engage people from socioeconomic Man, what I learn from poor people, poorer people, man, is the fact that they look at me and they feel sorry for me many times. <laughs> and sometimes we're feeling sorry for them and they're going, they've lived a life of simplicity and they've figured it out. And sometimes they look at people with way more money and they go, I feel sorry for you. I'm just saying we can learn something from each other. And if we just don't make it about me, 
and begin to serve and we begin to go across the room and not because it, 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 it lifts me up necessarily, but it may lift the whole body up. We've talked about this on Sunday mornings. In the culture we live in today that people come less than two times a month to church, but I, as we talked about it last week in marriages, marriages have become more about me and what it does for me than what it does for us. And that's what's happened inside the church in many ways. It's more about what it does for me. And really it should be a place where what it does for we. Obviously, and points us to him. How to serve together. And we've talked about that in other sermons. I won't get into all that. But I do believe it's a place where we move from we to me, from me to we. Another one is this. There's stability and security. There's stability and security. Let me say this just about in general. And I love, and I don't have it up there. I wish I did. Jim Collins' statement in this book, Good to Great. He said, the sign of mediocrity is not the unwillingness to change, but the signature of mediocrity is chronic inconsistency. Let me say it again. The sign of mediocrity, in other words, if you want your children to take this in a mediocre, mediocre way, if you want your church to take it in a mediocre way, it's not the unwillingness to change, but it's this chronic inconsistency of who you say you're going to be and what you're living out. If you, want to ch- if you want to raise children that are mediocre towards this whole faith, I would just encourage you then to go ahead and just be inconsistent on what you say, okay, if that's what you're trying to raise. But we as a church, have got to, we, we've got to have a body that says, this is where we're heading, this is what we're doing. We've got to be consistent in that because it brings security. Stability brings security. I said this to you last week. If a marriage is, if, if children in the home are always concerned whether their mom and dad are going to stay together or not, you talk, you're going to raise insecure children, that's the way to do it. But stability, man. You don't want to be like a sailboat without a sail. There's a great purpose you've been put here on earth. It's like a sailboat. I, I love what James says in James 1.6. He said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe in no doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave, on the, like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. All I'm saying, folks, is I think the church should be a place of security, not just what I said earlier about coming where I can be loved even when I'm unlovable, but a place that knows where it's going and a place that I can count on. And it's secure because I believe in what they're doing and I'm locking in. They're not here and there like every wind and doctrine chasing. Or maybe you're that parent who's very moody and your child walks in, never knows what they're walking into. So we should be able to count on each other. One of our, one of our uh, parts of our mission statement is to live by faith. But literally what that means is it's not just the theology of faith, not just taking risk faith. It means being faithful. Your children and we as a leadership here, you need to see a life of consistency. 
In your home, there needs to be a life of consistency. I don't want to be one of those people, and maybe I am at times, I guess. And I know I've got quirky things, and we did our blind spot, and believe me, I know I've got quirky things that I've been talked to about my family. But I don't want to be one of those people they just say, well, that's just Kurt. You just have to deal with if you're going to be around him. That's just Kurt. I don't want to be one of those people. I want to have truth spoken into me, which leads us. Well, actually, I'm going to skip one, come back to it. It's where boundaries are set and teaching happens and growth is expected. Where boundaries are set, teaching happens and growth is expected. How many of us as parents would not begin to set the boundaries in our home? And then... How many of us as parents would not be willing to teach those in the home of our children? And how many of us would not expect growth along the way? I've told, I used to tell teenagers all the time because I expected, you know, I've said this before, the way I raised, what way I raised, the way I pastored teenagers was an arm around their neck and nose to nose. Because I wanted them to know how much I loved them, but I also wanted them to know we're not staying here. We're growing, we're moving. And I'd tell them, I'm not near as concerned of what you think of me at 16. It's what you think of me at 36 I'm concerned about. I'm not here to be your best friend. I may become your best friend. That's awesome. I'm not here to be your dad unless I am your dad. Okay. Uh, but, but I would tell them, God has put me in this position at this time for a reason. He has put me in an office, if you will, a position in your life. And I take that role very, very seriously. So boundaries are going to be set. Teaching is going to happen, but growth's expected. As a church, boundaries need to be set. And what I mean by boundaries, I love this illustration that I use because I, I came up with it, but one of the reasons why I love it. But no, I tell, I tell the staff, I don't see one up here, but I tell them, I said, yeah, we have to set boundaries of what, <clears throat> of what God wants to dream and what he wants to do here at Renovation, but our boundaries are not, <clears throat> are not like some little bitty box. It's like a football field. There's boundaries, but there's so much room to play in it. There's so much space to get it done. But boundaries have got to be set. But when you set boundaries, the teaching has to follow. And growth has to be expected. You know, I, I just, you know, we talked about it a lot, and I started to bring it up here today, and I thought, uh, I've wore it out so much. But Barna, Barna's survey about where people get stuck in their spiritual faith, they just get stuck. Actually, they don't get stuck too long. They start backing their way back up. And it's because of brokenness. It's because they're not willing to go where God's trying to take them through. So they begin to back up. And unfortunately, in many churches, not growing is acceptable. Unfortunately, in, any, in some homes, not growing, and I don't mean this in the sense of 
Physically, yeah, we want them to walk and we want them to talk and we want them to eat if, 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 if they're able to. We want them to do all those things. But there's a point, if we're not careful as parents, we raise our children like this instead of like that. We raise them with this protectivity that, that somehow or another they're ours and they're not God's. We begin to control them. And I've shared this with, the, with our group that we meet on Sunday afternoons. I said, man, I want to operate in life with my hands like this. Some of you have been operating way too long, clenched a hold of it, and you're not letting God work through all this. He's right trying to teach you something. You're going, no, I'm not going to let him teach me. I mean, one of the great things of playing sports all these years, one of the things I ask students or ask, ask players, are you coachable? You know, one of the most biggest compliments you can get as a player is that kid's, not only is he, does he work hard, having talent's good too, does he work hard, but he's coachable. I mean, you hear it all over, he's coachable. But we get in the church and we never ask that question. Are you coachable? This is a place we believe we're called to coach. We really do. And to call you at, my question to you is, if truth was spoken into your life today, do people even have the guts to speak truth into your life? Do they have the guts to? Because they know how you're going to respond to that. Are you offended easily? Do people tiptoe around you? Let me say this if you're there, if that's you I just described, and I know this is a great Mother's Day message that I'm describing here. Man, I want to give you hope. You are dangerously vulnerable if you think you're really in control. When Jen and I did our, through the Uncommon class, did our blind spot, and there's 60-something questions, and it's very personal, and it's working on our blind spots, the things we don't see. I'm begging, and Jan knows this, and I wrote in detail what I see about myself, but what, what we do is when we send that evaluation to the, like I did to Jan, she now critiques my idea of who I am. You better be ready for it. I told this class, and you'll, you'll get to see some of them next Sunday that's finishing at about 45 or so. I said, I just want to tell you how proud I am of you that you've got to have the guts to, to expose yourself like you have through this whole blind spot thing. It has helped Jan and I. Jan and I talked about it again this week, how I'm listening to her better because she said to me I wasn't listening as well as I should have, and now I know, Okay. I know not to get up for, from the dinner table on Sundays and just go sit and recline, or even when my mind is fried by the time I get home and I just want to just not talk to anybody. But I'm not doing that anymore. Because without her speaking into my life and me giving her permission, and I've got some other that I'm not going to get into here. <laughs> but I'm working on them. Because I want to be coachable. You know who I want to be coachable most of all by? By the Holy Spirit speaking into my life. 
But you know what? He uses other people. He uses his word. He uses circumstances to coach me up. But you're dangerously vulnerable, friend, if you're not willing to be coached up. A couple other things. Dreaming is encouraged, discovered, and explored. That is one thing I think the Lord put in mind in Jan's path years ago is with our kids is just a dream. And it's the what if and why not. What if and why not. But I love what Matthew Kelly says, and I'll use this illustration and we'll go on to the next. Matthew Kelly says, you can ignore, and it is his book, uh, Dream Manager. Many of you may have read that. So you can ignore people's dreams, but it will be at your peril. You're free to ignore your children's dreams, your spouse's dream, your employee's dreams, your customer's dreams, your nation's dreams. But in each of these areas of life, you will pay an enormous price if you do. I think and one of the things we're doing through our training and all the things we're trying to do at Renovation is help people discover their dreams and their passions and how all that works together and how they fit into the mission, even though I skipped over that a while ago. They are valued inside of this because I believe when people's dreams get stirred, great things begin to happen. Ministry begins to blow up because I believe God is giving them those dreams. And we can help them live them out, but especially in your own kids, in your home, man, be able to do that. One of the problems I think many of us have about dreams is we're insecure in our own dreams. So if we're not careful, we start sharing with people. Because one of the things we talk about is the fact that there's only certain people you can even share your dreams with. Because if you're not careful, they're going to kind of try to squash your dreams. Because they're so insecure in their own dreams or lack of. There's only certain people you want to share your dreams with. But we want to be in a community where we can do that without feeling like, oh, they're trying to kill it. They're not trying to help. They're trying to kill it. And the last one is this. Like I said, I know, I know I've been all over the map today. There's so many things I want to tell you about this because I believe it's so reflective of what, in the family, what the church could be. But the other one is, because of language, because of other things, I think there's memories and traditions are created and celebrated. The only reason I stuck this in here, I believe there's something, that, again, going back to stability and things you can count on. I think for our kids over the years, there was just certain things they could count on. They were very intentional about that. There's certain languages we have inside the gentry home that maybe don't, it's not in everybody's. How many of you in here know what a pallet is? If you're from the South, what is it? It's not a piece of wood, is it? It's a bed, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'd come out west, people start making fun of you. you know. Yeah, look it up. Look up the definition of P-A-L-L-E-T. It pops up, it says straw bed. So there you go. It didn't say wood pallet first. But there's things you use that you know. That one of the things we use in our homes called swing me. And it's something I started doing when I was a young dad that had way more, I was in way better shape when I did this. But all four kids and now the two grandkids, I want to show you, just turn the lights down a little bit if we can see this. Let's show this real quick. Somebody you one, two. Hi, 
Ready? One. You're out of the way, girl. One, one, two, three. The reason why I share that with you is we've been very intentional for all these years. I don't know why God put that in our mind and in our sights. But I think for our, for our, our life, and you see us from 1997 right before we moved here, and to 20 years later, that story... There's a lot of heartache in those, between those two pictures. There's a lot of parenting that you're going, God, she's yours, he's yours. All I want to say to you folks is, from single to single moms to anyone, we want to be a place that you can come and feel like if, you've, if you were not raised in a family that was healthy, we want to let you rub shoulders with a healthy family. We want to let you be a part of a healthy family. You may not have been raised with a mom or a dad who did right things or either one. We want to show you that it can be done. We want to be a place where we're trying to figure this out. Yeah, are we flawed? Sure. Sure we are. That doesn't keep me from wanting to be all in. And what I've shared with you this morning about the journey I've had as a pastor and as a, as a dad and, and Jan and I as parents, you, you could take your, make your list and you could preach it, but you've got to go get your own church to do that. But, uh, but no, what I'm saying, though, is I realize what I've shared with you this morning is limited. But what I want to say to you is you need to be intentional about this. And I believe the body needs to be a reflection of the family. It needs to be a reflection of marriages. It needs to be healthy and strong. It needs to be a place where people come in. If they didn't have great families, it's a place where they can begin to figure out what that looks like. We need to be that place. And I believe we're trying to do everything we can here at Renovation to help us get there. I really genuinely do. And yeah, we are going to have a language. And yeah, we are going to continue to repeat it until you're fatigued from it. I get that. But we believe this. When everybody begins to believe we are, what we're committed to is going the right direction, something beautiful unfolds there. When people are beginning to be honest about who they are and where they're headed and they feel safe inside of this community. Because we believe people can need to come here and fall in love with Jesus. If you've never fallen in love with Jesus but attended church, you need to fall in love with Jesus. It'll change everything. Changes everything. We don't need to be just Christ admirers. We need to be Christ followers. It changes everything. You need to be a, it needs to be a place where you can come, come to this place where if you're broken, you can come and be healed. But there is a place, as you know I've said over and over, that you've got to get up and begin to fight with the rest of them you got to step up, step in line, and say, I am not being wimpy and staying behind everybody. It's time for me to step up and step forward. And we believe part of that is becoming a disciple of Christ, which only is reflected by the fact that you're multiplying yourself. You, you really are not a disciple of Christ, in my opinion, until you're investing in others and duplicating yourself. Go and make disciples. Not my words. should be challenged to grow. 
But anytime you try to motivate people without giving them tools to get there in a pathway, you've done them wrong. And we're trying to do both here. The mosaic of innovation. The mosaic of the kingdom of God, we hope. Would you stand with me with closing prayer? Lord, as we reflect back on what this day is all about again, it genuinely is about some of the people who have the most influence in our lives forever. And Lord, I pray that as I know is in my heart and as Jan's, that the impact we have in this season of life we have will not only just go from this generation to our kids and maybe even our grandkids, but Lord, I pray that it goes to the third and fourth generation. That we lived a life in such a way. There was a church one time in Phoenix, Arizona that lived a life in such a way that people around them said, look how they love one another. And that this church back 70, 80 years ago, they'll look back and in the year 2100, Lord, they'll look back and said in 2020, there was a church that made a decision. That it wasn't just going to live for itself and live ingrown, but it was going to live for others. And it was just going to try to figure it out as they went. But Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you again for our moms and Lord from grandmoms and great-grandmoms, mamas and memas and all the ones that go with it, and Gigi's. And it's just good to be a part of this. Thank you, Lord, for this time today. Thank you for this journey together. We pray this in your powerful name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys again for being here today. God bless you. Go have a great day and have an uncommon week in his name. Amen.